0: welcome back to the film alchemist podcast the show where we look at movies we love break them apart to find out what gives them their magic i'm your host josh griffey joined as always by my friend co-host mulleted teenager dirt bike rider uh chinese maggot orderer and co-host alex d'andino all accurate Woo! yeah that's right guys as always, if you like the show, please take one second right now, this very second, pause the show or do it while you're listening. Leave us a rating and review wherever you find us, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. That helps us out so much. And for those of you who have been doing that, thank you. We have seen it and we really do appreciate, appreciate it. it
1: guys. Our numbers have been great. Um, we really appreciate it.
0: They have. Thank you very much. Uh, as always, you can follow, uh, see the faces that match these voices. On YouTube, that's Nerd Alchemist, plural, with an S at the end. That's our channel. Go there, subscribe, share it on your socials, which we are also on all the socials. Very much uh, so. We're very active on Twitter, especially Film Alchemist 1, number 1. Um, and that's it, guys. That's enough for the business. Um, we're going to start on a bit of a somber note tonight, guys. Uh, yeah. We interrupted the last week of Fan Pick Month. Um, this is on me. I, I decided we're going to supersede. Our last couple selections, because uh, filmmaker Joel Schumacher died this week. And Alex and I were talking, and he's just one of those guys that made a lot of movies that meant a lot to us growing up. Yes. Uh, A lot of the kind of movies that we talk about on this show, a lot of the movies that are the very reason we started this show, right? Joel Schumacher's one of those guys for us. Which is very weird, Um,
1: because you wouldn't base because the thing he's most famous for is like ruining Batman and which is horseshit. Cause which is I like bullshit. those
0: Batman movies by the Look, way. <laughs> I,
1: I'm fully, I love Batman forever. I don't give a shit what any, I don't give a shit what anybody says. I think Batman forever is quality. I saw it seven times when I was a kid, I didn't give a shit.
0: Yeah. Well, also, that might be the thing when you were our age, when those movies came out, they slapped. They this did. was before comic book movies were everywhere. This was before we were, you I know, mean, as used to very polished. I just remember being like, holy fuck, Batman. And it yeah, was fun. It again, was it's it's, But even it's more taste. than that, the movie we're talking about tonight, the one we chose uh, to do in tribute to Joel Schumacher is The Lost Boys. Yes. Um, now, this is a funny one because I had actually recorded an episode on The Lost Boys with our friend and uh, guest host who you might have heard on the show before, Jonathan Holiday. And we lost it because there were some technical errors. We were doing a remote, you know, recording, which before that was just how you did all podcasts. Uh, You know, we, like, sometimes new guests, you have to figure out the technical kinks for this and that. So we actually lost uh, the Lost Boys in this really strange movie I still want to get to called Head of the Family. But what struck me is when John and I were talking, John talked about this, you know, he had his little gang of friends and the... this was the movie they found, and they were like, "This is our flag. This is fucking cool. We're Lost Boys, guys, right?" Right. And I remember that same feeling. And when I watch Lost Boys tonight, it's like that is. I, I there's this phrase that used to go around a lot, right? The cinema of cool. I think it kind of came in when people are like trying to find like buzzwords to describe like the indies 90s stuff. Right. I don't know exactly why that phrase was created or what it means. All I know is that if the Lost Boys is not on the marquee of the cinema of cool, you can burn that fucker to the ground. That's all I know for sure in yeah, this world. I mean
1: <laughs> honestly, if you uh throw a greased up saxophone player singer in a band in a movie, that's pretty much I mean, there is no more cool than that. Again that should be, by the way, in like the pantheon of like terrible choices in a movie. And it's so fucking cool.
0: Absolutely not. It's yes, so absolutely. fucking cool. Like
1: <laughs> any other movie you would wa any other movie you'd sit there and be like, why the fuck is this, p- this patailed fellow playing the saxophone in front of like this huge, like group of beach bums. doesn't matter. It's fucking cool, man. Like that's what it- I, again, and this movie has so many different versions of what I think is cool. Cause When you're younger and you see this movie, you relate to, like, Corey Haim and his little, like... Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, like, them in the comic book shop. They're doing their thing. And then when you're a little bit older and, you know, you see, you know, people smoking cigs behind the school. And you're like, whoa, are those guys cool? Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, they are. That's where you get to, like, your Kiefer Sutherland's and your (laughs) Jason Patrick's. You're like, fuck, dude. I might actually get with Jamie Gertz, who knows, could be...
0: Yeah, I remember having that thought. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, let me put it this way. I will Don't say ever as a young that. boy in the Midwest of India. No, I'm saying that is how I thought life oh, yeah. would go for me. Oh, yeah. I well, just like kick did. open the doors of my middle school and there would be a star waiting for me, right? Of course. To like bring me to a cave and we'll float in the clouds. That turns out not a lot of stars. It turns lining out up for young true. Joshua not
1: a thing that happens. Yeah,
0: uh, it's okay. But what I remember so vividly is how this movie kind of became aspirational to me in a weird way, because growing up as a young boy in the like literally the middle of cornfields in Indiana, that's where I lived. My house at, you know, right as I was getting into high school, my house was just cornfields on three sides, right? We had moved from a big city, right, which here in Indiana is not really like a big city. You're just like, dude, we've got an Applebee's, like we're awesome. Yeah. Right. So like One stoplight uh, farm right. town. Right. And so being a kid who grew up there in the life we led, I watched this and I was like, holy shit. Like it felt lost boys felt to me the same as when I saw star Wars for the first time. It felt sure. like an absolute alien world that I desperately wanted to be a part of. Right. Cause it's just like the whole, there's, you know, you can just go to the beach. There's games on the beach. They do that whole opening montage. I love of just like, this fucking hodgepodge menagerie right of just unusual looking people like one of the girls they just cut to a scene and one of the girls is just licking a rat and it's just a throwaway right just like that might have just been a person doing that and they just got waivers and i was like yeah okay like even those people it gives this town this this weird character already before we even introduce anyone and then you see Corey Haim and Corey Haim was such a cool character to see at that age. Cause he was a young boy, my age who was actually had some fashion sense and some pizzazz. And he just felt very different than a lot of, you know, the boy protagonists at that age. Right. And then you see the frog brothers and you're like, fuck, they're like alpha butch. Like I could never hope to. And so everyone you see in this movie is so much cooler than anyone you knew in life. It was like, his mom just is like, I just will get a part-time job on the boardwalk at a video store. I'm like, Fuck, that's cool. Why can't my mom
1: do that? That's awesome.
0: Even Max, like the douchey guy who tries to pick up your divorce mom, has like a cool like Devo jacket and I was like, everyone in this movie is just too cool. They're just too cool. (laughs) So as you said, saxophone guy feels like, wow, look at that. Like that's a bold choice. I can't believe it worked. To me, I was like, somewhere out in the world, there's just the freedom. To watch a greased up saxophone man amongst Absolutely. the hordes of weirdos. That's the thing. Again, it's
1: it it's there's so many things in this like I guess not so many things. That's probably like the biggest thing. But there are aspects of this movie that totally shouldn't work. And totally should not grab you the way they do, but because of just the time, the place, and the vibe this movie gives off. They yes. are so fucking part of like that overall vibe that everything just Everything just feels not just cool, but everything feels relevant. Everything feels now like even in 2020, we're sitting here in the middle of a pandemic in the middle of an election year. Sorry, I'm having trouble with my windscreen in the middle of an election year. I thought and, you were
0: having a panic attack saying what's actually happening in a real world.
1: Right. And you're like, <laughs> you're looking backwards at like 1987, Santa Carla, not a real place, by the way, uh, Santa Carla, California, like uh, simpler times when they were just fucking terrible little vampire biker gangs rolling around like god bless like that's that's the good good
0: old days classic problems but that's the
1: thing is like even the vampires are fucking cool like the vampires are these great like it's great mashup of like 80s cool gutter punk stuff and biker gang shit that all convalesces into A, a completely different vampire than we'd seen to that point in my opinion like mm-hmm. something totally fresh. And that's the thing that the movie does so well is like reinterprets and refreshes a lot of stuff that you probably have already seen. Probably has already done. Like again, one of my all time favorite lines in this movie is that, uh, when the, um, the one, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy is chasing, uh, the vampire hunters through the house. And he's like, garlic don't work on me, boy. Like that kind of shit. You're like, mm-hmm. man, see, like, that's what I want. Like little shit like that. Little iconography. I'm cool. But, to your point about like, the girl licking the rat in the beginning, just the menagerie of stuff that you get, that to me is what makes Joel Schumacher a great director in this regard because he's always able to fit random shit into these movies that you're just like, I'm in. I'm in for it. He did it in Flatliners. He did it in Batman and fucking Robin. He just throws shit at you and you're like, I'm here. Give it to me. It's fine. <laughs> like, I love yeah. that about Bill well, he, always, he
0: always gives you your, your bang for your buck. What I actually think yeah. Lost Boys is for me is I was trying to think, and I, I didn't really have enough time to lay out my actual list of what would be my best vampire movies ever. Right. All I know for sure is that this is a top five for me. But, and, and that is one of the things that struck me as a young guy is everyone's always like, which kind of monster would you want to be? Blah, blah, blah. We used to do those games all the time. And my friends would say, vampires. I'm like, why the fuck would you want to be a vampire? You live in, like, a moist, old fucking castle somewhere. Like, maybe you got some wives, but they can't talk. They're just hissing at you all the time. Like, there is nothing cool. Like, maybe a a white accountant drifts past your doors in a storm and you get a drink. Like, you know, just, like, old, crusty, Nosferatu, Dracula bullshit. And, you know, my friends would always be like, oh, but vampires, fuck. And I was like, yeah, Maybe. This was the first va- movie I watched where I was like, "Fuck, I want to fuck all the vampires." I was like, <laughs> "I'm feeling things right now." Like this, these, <laughs> these guys explode off the screen in yeah. coolness. Like one of the scenes that struck me is these guys still just tear ass around on motorcycles, right? Mm-hmm. That scene when Michael chases him and he's, you know, Kiefer has the great line. He's like an awesome, you know, leader of the gang. He's so great, but there's that moment where you know Michael's just like, "I can't beat your bike." And he's like, you don't have to beat us, Michael. Just try to keep up. <clears throat> yeah. In that moment of them just driving through the beach and having this kind of euphoric fun, right? It's like just pure ecstasy into the chicken. And it's it's one of those moments in the movie where you stop and you're like, wait a sec. I've already seen another great thing they added is the fucking predatory swoop, right? Yeah. The flying and swooping down, pulling people into the sky, ripping car. It makes them scary, fast, ferocious, present vampires, right? And so that all works. And then you're sitting there and you're like, why are they fucking just riding dirt bikes? Like, how is that fun when you can just fly? And it's because they want everyone else to see how much fun they're having that they can't have. And you're like, that is cool, right? These are vampires who now are fucking flaunting it yeah in our face they're not the cursed rotting right on dead they're out here fucking loving it
1: yeah (laughs) i mean that's the thing thing that i love that's the great thing like that scene where they're hanging off the train tracks is a great example like that to me is like the crystallization of a lot of this movie is jason patrick's reactions in that scene where like michael is watching is and david's just almost taunting him the entire time like while they're holding on like don't let go don't let go and like then all of a sudden they're all just letting go like that to me is the shit that i'm just like that's what this movie's about is not necessarily about how cool vampires are because honestly like that comes through that oozes off the screen but this is mainly about Mm -hmm. michael's journey of attempting to be cool like putting on a show to be cool and eventually you know figures out his own shit but like that is like I love the use of vampir- vampirism in this movie, particularly because it's the metaphor for moving. It's the metaphor for moving to a new place and having to fit in and all that other kind of shit that comes with... Listen, I moved a lot when I was a kid. I moved to a lot of different places, and I understand that feeling of like trying to find your group, trying to find your clique, trying to find your people. It's, I mean, it's like the lunch table in the cafeteria all over again, but it's just like a 90-minute movie about it. <laughs> but... Well, that's what I like so great. is the
0: way it takes, but that's, I think what it does is it, I like the way it takes vampirism, right? And so instead of the curse, like, yes, I'm alive, but I can't enjoy life, right? This is the classic Maxim, right? You've always heard that from like old, old fucking people, which is uh, youth is wasted on the young. Mm-hmm. And this movie really says that, you know, what if you gave this, cause it's like, you'll never grow old. You'll never die. All you have to do is feed. And in a way, you just say that out loud. You're like, yeah, that's teenagers and vampires. That's their mindset. So it really is just taking these people at this moment of, when you're a teenager, everything's high drama. Everything's important. Everything is a battle worth fighting. Totally. You know? And it's, it's, it's just this perfect moment to take, when people are most alive, to then afflict them with this curse of vampirism. It's a whole new way to to examine this yeah. kind of monster that we haven't really had before.
1: Well, I mean, it makes it, again, it's what you're saying, it makes it not a curse. Like, it's a curse Yes. only yeah. if you look at it that way, and I think that that's like, it's the optimism of youth marrying with this eternal life. So if you're going to take somebody when they're young, why would they not embrace the fact that they're young forever? Like, again, I mean, listen, I think you and I can both agree that there is some aspects of our lives that we wish that we were still young for. I absolutely do. That's just part of life. Everybody does that. There is that like level of nostalgia where you go, "Oh man, I was so young and I was ready for anything and now look at me, this is my life now." Like that's the best part about this version of vampirism which is like it's the version where you're like, "Wow, you could live forever like that." Like you could just be some fucking yeah. hot cool dude with a fucking mo- mohawk running around on bikes all, t- all the time. There's something yeah, about I that. Mean, is well, just, just the awesome. very
0: notion of when we see them as a gang, they're always having fun. Having a great
1: time. Like. Absolutely.
0: You know, it's, it's not this like, oh, we're afraid of David. He's our leader. Right. They feel like just a gang of dudes having a blast. And a lot of time what they're doing is not cool. Right? right? Like a great example. Like the first time we see them, it's like, here are these immortal vampires gifted with, you know, predatory powers in flight. Right. They're just trolling the carousel.
1: Yeah by the way not you know, endorsing I, I not fucking... endorsing behavior but definitely cool all right
0: but that's what i mean it's such a weird that's what i mean like it, it strikes me as you would see other vampire movies and they'd be like oh a carnival of bold fuck. that's i imagine all vampires are like how Werner Herzog is and he's like oh the bold walk. this is the glowing sign of futility of human mortals oh Why throw balls at the milk jugs when life is so finite, right? Like, that's what I think a vampire would do if he saw, like, that boardwalk. These guys were like, fuck yeah, carousel! You know what I mean? It's like, I fucking love that. (laughs) It just changed that lens. So, all of a sudden, a story that, you know, felt very distant to me my whole life, this monster who I'd seen in countless movies, right? Vampires. Now it felt... I got it all of a sudden. I got why you'd want to be a vampire watching this movie. Totally. I don't know. I thought, I, I mean, that's what I mean, though. I think that is the strength of the movie is every there. There isn't a throwaway character in the whole movie. No. And that, I mean, I guess you could argue like the three vampire henchmen are essentially all one character. So sure. Fine. They're your body count character. But every character who has true speaking lines, there's not really a throwaway no I mean that's pretty rare for most
1: movies even the throwaway like those three guys all have their own unique vibe and I think that's again a really important thing about it's another really important thing about pacing in this movie and like pacing out your characters because again the four people I'm drawn to the entire movie are obviously Corey Haim Jason Patrick Jamie Gertz and uh, Kiefer Sutherland those are the four people I'm locked in with the entire movie I know I'm going to be locked in with them but peppering your cast with people like George Herman, Corey Feldman, uh whoever the other kid is in that group, and then like Alex Winter and the other two guys, like those people those actors are always great in their own right, and giving them the room to do something like that and just let them be their own character is what makes them not just like one note character in the background like it's not just a body count character that's what it's there for, but they all have their own unique thing, and I think that's what makes this movie so great? And again, going back to our other point about just, you know, making things seem cool, like everybody seems like they serve a purpose. And that's, I think, mm. a really valuable thing, especially in like movies about gangs is there's always the throwaway guy who's just like, oh, that extra who showed up to set one day looks like one of these guys. So we'll just keep him in the background. <laughs> they don't need any of that because yeah. all these guys are giving a performance. It's It's really cool and it's really yeah. fun to watch. And but, it makes the movie engaging yeah. the entire time.
0: Well, it's just like they they, they pepper in constantly, you know. Uh, the grandpa has this real, like, he's just such a well-written character. Yeah. For essentially someone who does not matter in the movie once until the very last scene and you realize he's in on it. Yeah. You know, or, like, but it's just like, just his, like, his shelf in the fridge, right? This is the old fart shelf. This is where I keep my root beers and my my fucking Oreos and I'm going to go try to plow old ladies and do taxidermy. You're like, that's, that's a great role and a great, that's just good writing. Yeah. You know, like he's literally just there to be the guy that gives them the house. But think about it. He actually serves no purpose. And if you plucked him out of the house, right. And the story was he died and they inherited the home. Mm-hmm. The movie doesn't change a bit. No, not at all. The movie at like, you could pull him out of the movie and the narrative would not collapse. No. To me, that is the absolute hallmark of a useless character. Yet, he is one of the most fun, awesome parts of the movie. Yes. And so that—that that is what I always look at. I mean, I guess the only character you're like, but, but even then, like, Laddie doesn't really serve a lot of a point. But he has a great scene at the end. And also, he kind of highlights this this predatory nature of our head vampire finding children. Right. So, you know, they're kind of as a Peter Pan vibe at a point with these uh, lost children running a buck. Right. But, <laughs> but that's what I mean. Every character just has these extra flares. Like, I really like Diane Weiss this time watching. Right. Yeah. The mom really leapt off the screen this time at me. It was just such a. I such mean, a I'd fun say performance. I'd from say her.
1: actually, I mean, and again, I know he's, he ends up being one of the big bads at the end. I mean, uh, I said it, it's not George uh, Edward Herman at the end of the movie ended up like the big reveal, which again is one of my like favorite reveals of movies. And I always forget. <laughs> and then I'm like watching. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah, totally. This is so like, I'm like, Oh fuck, this is so good. And again, it's one of those great moments where all of these other like sort of bits about vampirism get sort of subverted throughout the movie. Mm. And then the one that I think everybody kind of forgets about a lot of the time, which is you can't like, like, Vampires can't do anything unless you invite them in. That is one of those Which things. Which
0: is of, wrong. <laughs> the well, one dude literally explodes through the chimney.
1: Well, either way.
0: He's just like, what's up, motherfucker? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> a fucking kung fu kick.
1: Sure. I'm not saying that in general, it's not a possibility yeah. to subvert the rules. But, no, but again, I it's one of those it, great like the, scene, bits.
0: the The dinner with Max is amazing. Oh, yeah, totally. Because this is where they've set us up, right? So we see uh you know his brother is going through it mike's going through it right yeah he has the uh, see-through shadow he's become the faceless shadowy brother that shot of him like storming up the stairs or actually skulking right Storming's the wrong word he's like skulking up the stairs right when nanook the ass whipper just takes him down these are great scenes right then we see the healing we see the uh you know sexy floating through the clouds So like we're like ah oh, vampire rules we got rules Blah blah blah, right? The the Frog Brothers little book that they made, <laughs> you know, like oh, this I will love save your life, Mister Phoenix. You know the uh, the vampires everywhere. That's a classic riff. Just that's, these two dipshit kids that have no knowledge, but they they want it to be, and then it manifests. That's one of my it's like favorite the secret scenes. as a comic book.
1: When they <laughs> hand him the comic book, like kill all vampires. He's like, think of it more yeah. as an instruction manual. I'm like, God bless yeah.
0: you. This might save your life, bro. Like but that's, but that's like <laughs> that's always the experience.
1: That's the thing I love about this movie particularly is that's the experience that you always hope you see but never have to deal with in a comic book shop. Like whenever you go in, like you and I have been have done this many times where we go in and someone just like interjects themselves into a conversation we're having. We're like, "Oh, shut the fuck up." Do not talk to me but, about
0: this. To be fair, we're not the Frog Brothers, whereas we're like, we're up, not. Phoenix? I'm
1: not talking about but, us. I'm saying the we're, fools we're who like do that
0: the, the stealthy Frog Brothers, right? Like the Toad Brothers. Like we'll hear someone and then be like, listen, this us fucking. Guy. So we'll do it just like to ourselves. Like well, yeah, on- <laughs> I mean, I'd
1: say we're closer to like MSTK 3000. Like that's like our, our yeah, like MSTK. Yeah, M- 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 yeah whatever and that's t3k like that's closer to what we're doing in comic book oh, shops man. but i love
0: were you going for like cool points doing the mystery science theater abbreviation
1: no i just didn't want to say that mystery... what you were
0: just saying mystery science? Theater?
1: i just didn't want to say mystery oh, yeah. science theater 3000 sorry either way
0: uh-huh that's like when my my cousin came home and she's like oh you don't listen to nkotb what's that and i was like what New kids on the block. She just said it to me like I was some kind of fucking moron. Just say new for kids for not knowing board. who NKOTV was. That's a similar experience you just gave me. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You Anyways,
1: but yeah, that's more, that's closer to our <laughs> vibe than, we do, than we're even nearing the frog brothers. I feel like most of the time when we've been in comic shops together, we I'm have probably, to more more a the yeah, we're probably
0: more of a Corey Haim. Yeah, we're more of the Corey, probably more of the Corey Haim. And I'm more of a Feldman.
1: You're not a Feldman. Not in my experience.
0: I'm not, I'm not, I'm not macho enough to be Feldman of the frogs in this one.
1: Uh, maybe like Feldman when he's like a, you know, rock star when he's older. Like, you
0: know. if there was truly a character in this movie that I feel like I'm trending towards, it is the grandpa. <laughs> I was like, he has a lot of picadillos and I'm like, this feels like where I might like yeah, land. I'll agree. Like, with this you on is that. where I could end up. I think that just got comes it. with uh, it's a uh,
1: you're, you're, you're not aging you're aging like a fine wine you know that's the whole thing
0: or something like that I hope I could still be slinging it when I'm that old that's cool no but where where, where we got off oh yeah so we're talking about the rules of vampirisms before we got thrown off by my new kid on the block uh, PTSD yeah thank you another abbreviation for you there NKOTB PTSD so the rules of the vampire in this movie are pretty fun because. I was watching it this time, and you're like, it's undeniable, right? Everyone in the audience knows right away that Max is 100% going to be the head vampire, right? The very first time we see him, right? He's kind of skulking this, scooping this lady, helping a baby. He's just handing out suckers. It's like, dude, you're a video store, not a doctor's office, first off. That's fucking weird. He's like, hey, what's up, girl? Sucker. (laughs) And then the guys come into his store, and he's like, get out of here i told you not to be seen around here and you're like all right this guy does not look like he's going to be laying down ultimatums very much right so you're like that's weird there's actually a scene that i had forgotten about which is where max comes home it's dark Mm -hmm. his dog thorn right is growling a bat kite very on the nose flies up to him he picks it up and he sees the motorcycle like the wind motorcycle riders right right which we know are the vampires. Right. The next thing we see is Thorne is like fighting off the mom. He's he's become possibly a hellhound. And then he just shows up to fucking dinner. After Corey and the frogs have said they think he might be the guy. Right. The fact that he shows up unscathed, you know for a fact he's the head vampire. I do. But what they do is they they subvert all of our rules, right? Which yes. is he has a reflection. He's not glowing. He likes garlic, this and that they actually fix it though at the very end cuz i was watching i was like this is so stupid like right. none of these rules make sense like so michael just can drive a car to the cliff in the sun one bit of sunlight touches david and he's like ah and he does the one sad tear right Sunri- sun sundown right? right with this one sad like the tear. one it's and- like the one tear yeah <laughs> so you're sitting there watching you're like none of these vampire rules make any sense right like we see the vampires actually have psychic powers. Yes. They have fucking mind control with the worms in the rice. So you're like, none of this makes sense. But at the very end, Max has that great line where he's like, never let a vampire in. Then you have no power. Like the rules don't apply. Yeah. And I was like, what a brilliant. But that, well, that's what I was talking about. It's like, just in the I very love- end, say, just in case. <laughs>
1: right, that's what I was talking about earlier is like that. I, everyone forgets <laughs> about that rule, about the invite, the invitation and then i love that the the extension of the rules like yeah that's when um you know you know you have there, anything that anything else that could kill them is not available to you i yeah. fucking love that that's like part of this and i love that that's the case because you're right it's a great screenwriting bit to just like write out your to write your way out of it but yeah, on top right. of that and again <laughs> i know that edward hermans going to end up being that guy i know that max is going to end up yeah. being the big one but at the same time I just like, and it's weird. Like I kind of figured it. Like you figure it out pretty much immediately, but you sort of get lost in the story. And then at the end, again, I was just like, "Oh wait, he's the guy, isn't he?" Like again, it's one of those great, <laughs> like rec. It's one of those great recollections, and you're just like, oh, "Okay, yeah." And then he ha he is just like the goofiest, nicest looking guy in so many movies. So it's weird when he becomes so fucking menacing. You're like, mm-hmm. I don't understand why. Richie Rich's dad is being such a dick. Like there's just like this level of
0: one percenters. Am I right? man? (laughs)
1: Point one percenters
0: (sighs) fucking rich white people, dude. (laughs) God damn it. But yeah, we need more of those boardwalk, but no, you're right. Like Max's
1: whole thing is so much fun and it really does make this movie that much more enjoyable. It takes, it's almost like it almost gives you a little bit of levity to be honest with you, because like by the end, this movie is getting pretty heavy and getting pretty, dangerous for our main characters the max reveal kind of gives you this like almost wink and a charm to in a lot of aspects yeah for me
0: well it's also by the time we get to that house assault right we have that very cool like home alone montage yeah Where like they're getting ready for war which i think is splendid right that's just cool yeah it just works but once the vampires actually start attacking you're like i'm not really you're not super engaged in the fact like oh i'm worried for my characters you just want it to be a fun payoff you just don't want it to be bad right right and this this is what they did they just made it fun right the the different ways to kill vampires is very good right death by stereo yeah like you said the pool these are great deaths like even Kiefer's death you're like that death kind of sucks it's very anticlimactic for how cool keifer's been But they play it really well, right? Where Schumacher does that that kind of spotlight, almost this angelic lighting on him. Yeah. Thou shall not die. And it's like, we get it. (laughs) You know? You're really, like, smacking us around with fucking uh, Highway to Heaven imagery. But then all of a sudden, we we move in on (coughs) Kiefer. And instead of the fucking uh, high cheek-boned yellow eyes, and instead of the baggy eyes like chain-smoking Kiefer we saw before, right? he actually kind of just looks like an angelic teenager. And there's almost a faint hint of a smile that maybe he was ready for this to be done. Right. Which, you know, again, that kind of comes back to the core of the, the vampirism as a curse, but it's a really subtle way, you know, just for him at the end, he's like, dude, my buddies died. Like these are yeah. actually people I cared about and not minions. And maybe he's just, yeah, I'd rather die than spend more time with Michael. He's just like, fucking kill me yeah i mean and it's, but that's what i mean it's like it's it's not because you could look at that and be like well that is just not nearly cool enough for someone as awesome as david is in this movie but it still really works yeah it still really worked well, for me
1: i mean again it it, it takes all of the vampirism things it it does such a good job of not just taking shit out to pasture like we're not watching twilight here where everyone just sparkles and is able to survive like what you're doing
0: is... I wondered how long it'd take to get a Twilight dig in.
1: I mean, it was not necessary. I mean, look, every movie does I think we did pretty good. Th- every story I does a own pretty thing. Good. I mean, to me personally, I just don't get why... Whatever, that's another movie. Um, But what I like the most about The Lost Boys' approach to vampirism is that there are these addendums and there are these things that work for their storytelling that feel authentic. Not necessarily mm-hmm. just like... Oh, we're throwing this list, this last bit in right now. Like, Oh, if you invite a vampire in, uh, they're all powerful and also everything that could kill them is totally useless. Like that doesn't feel inauthentic or like an add on to get mm-hmm. you out of a jam and a story. What it feels like is that you're taking the myth and you're building on it. Like you're doing the, uh, you're doing the work to tell a better story. And I think that's what makes mm-hmm. the lost boys worth coming back to and worth watching over and over again.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just they—they they never, they never get in their own way, right? They're never more never. worried about mythology than entertainment. Totally. And again, I—I th- I think it's just—it's just this thrill ride that it—it it, it makes me feel young again when I watch it. Yeah. You know, and it, there's just this fucking, and a lot of Schumacher movies have that. There's just this electric vibrance that just flows from the screen to you. And I do think this is his best movie to me. Cause it just, I think this is just this perfect capsulation of what he did so well, which is, you know, building these characters through quirkiness. He's made this, this wildly fun world for us to play in. And it's just, it's got this fucking high energy. Like it just, it, it is completely imbued with the stuff that makes life worth living. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, it's just cool. And again, like even getting Corey Haim, that's that kind of thing that Joel Schumacher could get by. Like, right. When you watch this kind of movie, you're expecting Mikey from the Goonies, right? Like this little, I'm an all American tough lad. Yeah. Right. But this time it's like Mikey wakes up and is like solving the problems of his brother being a vampire in a shirt that says born to shop with like a Molly Ringwald poster in the background. Right. And I know a lot of people like everyone's like, oh, I've cracked the movie is that uh, Corey Hames character is gay. And that a lot of the vampire thing is him coming out. There's a whole thing about the mom. Like I can never sleep in an open closet, <laughs> like begging her son to not fucking come out of the closet. Right. And I was like, even take that aside. Right. Like what it is, is that all of that is there, but he's just this really like, I mean the, the scene that everyone talks about is the bathtub scene, <laughs> which is another one of those. You're like, that feels like a scene that should be like, wait, what's happening. But it's perfect. It, it actually becomes really charming. Yeah. You know, like, I love the bathtub scene. True. Because it just shows you that this kid is is out there trying to, like, be in the world and go to comic shops and, like, tough talk people about Batman number sevens or whatever. But really, he's just this fucking kid who wants to sing along and do rub-a-dub in the tub. I mean. I, it, it just really works. I, I, that's yeah. what is so weird is that everything in the movie that feels the strangest, and Most Out of Place just fits so yeah. perfect. What do you what do you make of Corey Haim uh, in this flick, right? Like, the way that he, he is brought to us. What did that do for you in this movie?
1: Corey Haim, to me, in this movie has always been the – it's always been, like, when, when you're younger, like, when you're in, like, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, Corey Haim's the <laughs> – this is a weird way to put it. Corey Haim's the final boy you always want to be. You know? Like
0: (laughs) The final boy (laughs) What? I don't know how else to put it. Is this like a final final girl adjacent? Is that what we're talking about?
1: I don't know how else to put it. Well, we've already gone over that when we did uh uh night when we did Nightmare on Elm Street. But like I I I don't know how else to put it, to be honest with you. Like Corey Haynes to me is that kinda kid with the gumption the out-of-town kid with the gumption to not just go with the crowd. And I think that's the thing that I like yeah. the most about his character. And that was the thing when I was younger and I saw it. Like, I saw this movie not when I was too young, but I saw it when I was old enough. Like, I was probably, like, 15 or 16 the first time I saw this movie, which, again, mm-hmm. like, it's not a movie I sought out when I was younger. But when I saw it, I related a lot to Corey hames character simply because that was me a lot of the time when we were moving. Like, I would yeah. be the yeah. weird kid who would – ask about the movies or comics or any of the things that I like to talk about or any things I like to like carry on about. But I also had the know the wherewithal to know when to walk away and that kind of thing. And again, he's just the extension of who you want to be when you're that age. And I think that's the thing that yeah. I like the most. He's like the best version of that kind of character, like the little brother character. He's the best version of that where he's not helpless. He wants to be yeah. involved. He wants to go like, him helping his older brother, like that kind of shit, that's the kind of stuff that you want to some see.
0: Some of those scenes with him and Mike are just some of the best, right? Totally. 100 like When he's just like, you're still my brother. <laughs> it's just, I love, what I love about him in this movie, right? I think the subtlety of taking Corey Haim in this movie and saying it's not this just traditional like masculinity that makes him so awesome. Yeah. They like, he is the kid who walks around wearing whatever the fuck that is he's wearing at the start of the movie. You know, I remember that era of fashion, kind of. But, like, you know, wasn't my era, per se. Right. So, whatever the fuck he's wearing, though, when he walks in, you smash that up against the Frog Brothers. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, of course these guys are going to get on him and razz him. But he holds his own. And enough to where they offer him the book, right? Like, they they put they see something in this kid. And so, you pair these, like, that hilarious scene when they're filling up holy, wady, holy water, right? Yeah. And it's just, you know, this kind of, like, really nice dressed, you know, cool kid. And these two fucking rough and tumble butch kids in that they, he just wins him over. Right. That there's not just this, you know, it's because he's a man doing manly stuff. And his, his older brother's like, stop being a puss. Let's fight vampires. <laughs> right. puss, grab the weights. <laughs> it's just, he, he has this incredible strength of just who he is. Right. Right. And again, I think those little subtleties to, you know, perhaps his sexuality or whatever like that, it's just a good thing to throw in at a time when you didn't see a lot of that stuff. Like we talked about that in back to the future. Yeah. One of the things that makes Marty McFly so cool is that he's just the short, not exceptionally cool, not the jock, not the class president. He's just kind of this, Little guy doing the best he can, I mean, trying I think to just have a girlfriend. Those, and that makes it fun for right. those of us that those don't know. Those kinds of
1: characters, like those everyman characters that you get to mm-hmm. take the journey with, those are the ones that I think those are the re- that's the reason they endure is because everyone has been there. Everyone's been that person. Not everyone's been Jason Patrick, okay? Not everyone's no. been Ma- not everyone's been Michael <laughs> Emerson. Not everyone's been a hair a tufted haired teen who can just stare down some broad in a during a saxophone concert and just like be like hey let's do this that's another thing that everyone points out too uh regarding sam's sexuality is because he's staring at jamie gertz like he's staring at star in the crowd and sam redirects his head towards the saxophone guy like check out this greased up dude playing (laughs) sax and i'm like who gives a shit like honestly it's like the least important moment in a movie ever (laughs)
0: He's just a little brother. I would imagine, though, there were people that that meant a lot to. And again, I think I think it's just a cool. Absolutely. And it it gets back to what Schumacher does best, which is he finds these small ways to just make the characters more and more complex. And totally. Yeah. Not to besmirch that. I was at that concert. I if if you were at that concert, you have to be like, this is not going to happen often. Yeah. Right. Unless that guy just like lives there. Like when he's not saxophoning, he's outside of the arcade like, hey, who's got a dollar for a surge? I I need a surge soda. (laughs) Like, But you're like something special is happening on that stage. You need to watch.
1: You have to watch what's going on (laughs) right here. This guy has a ponytail. He's playing saxophone and he's shirtless and he's just rocking and everyone is vibing this whole show. Like and again, look, everyone that he
0: literally brings together the fucking circus like menagerie of like human whatever's in this crowd and everyone is united in one moment. And look, if that is by Saxman,
1: if Sam Emerson's sexuality is important to you in this movie, I I think that's fine. I don't want to bag on that at all. I just do think that like, no, to me, the character, like it's almost inconsequential because again, he's that every man, Marty McFly guy that we can all graft onto for the movie. He's again, I don't know who, would person like I don't relate to Mike's story like I know that we follow him a lot but like my biggest I always gravitate towards Sam because that's always who I was
0: there's yeah I think that's the thing is there are a lot more guys that relate to Sam where it's you know we're trying to project cool maybe there's something about us that you know we're not exposing it like that's I think I think Mike I would imagine if we talked to our gay listeners, they would have like a different how much that meant to them thing, right? Of course. When I watch, when I watch Mike, the older brother, I'm just like, yeah, I never got to look at a girl that good looking, and she immediately was just like, the vapors. Yeah, I will turn in. <laughs> yeah, I never had my that experience. whole coven, right? Like, I will turn in the coven and fucking be on Kiefer Sutherland's bad side because of. A glance at you yeah like mike mike means nothing to me in this movie No, not at all and also there's only one time when i relate to mike which is when he's like i saw a girl and she rode off with some tough biker guys he's like maybe i should go get a jacket and an earring and take a shot and it's like you're chasing you're a chaser (laughs) i was like i've been that i've been the chaser before (laughs) you know what i mean but yeah for sure i've done that (laughs) i mean yeah of course everybody's been the chaser for sure i think that yeah just like to be that guy Yeah, Eh, that's not that's not an everyman kind of role. Right.
1: But that's why Corey Hames character is so important, because he regrounds the entire story. If we only had Jason Patrick to glob onto, I think this movie is a a completely different movie, but also like suffers from that fact entirely. Yeah. It's not nearly as classic and timeless without Corey Hames character.
0: Absolutely. But it becomes this almost weird movie where all of the characters are so cool. And so crafted out that you yeah. don't use any of them as an avatar.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I you think just that's feel like the you weird can sit like,
0: amongst them as yourself. It's
1: almost like, uh, yeah, if you take out Corey Haim and Feldman and uh, the, I can never remember the other guy's fucking name, the real, the real guy, um, the other frog, bro, the other frog brother. If you take those three guys out of the movie, what you get is it's almost honestly what you get is like less than zero. Remember we watched less than zero less than zero is the same thing where it's like those people live a life that I have no fucking clue what it is about. And like, you get like yeah. less than zero with like gutter punks. And that's
0: like, your but life. also in less than zero. You don't care emotionally about any, you're like, so what's the biggest thing you're facing right. going back and doing drug rehab in your mansion? Like, right. It's one of those movies where it's like, sure. Oh, it's so hard to be rich and have everything that, I'm going to go on a right. drug bender. This one
1: like, but it's it's basically it's the scummier version of that. It's like, "Oh, it's so tough to be living immortal right. and as a young person and just loving life but and having joined the hell yeah, out of it." Yeah,
0: it, it is, but this one is actually filled with, you know, like the two brothers, well that, I'm saying uh, the without them, mom, without like that. even Max being like, "I'm just trying to get a date and, sure. you know, not be addicted." Like it has all these really good little emotional hallmarks. It like, does. even Grandpa, when they come back carrying two bodies in blankets, and Grandpa's like, Do you remember to fill up the, the car with gas? And you're like, To stop the movie and do that. Again, it doesn't truly serve her purpose right. except for to flesh out the world in right. it. I love that kind of stuff. Right.
1: I do too. That's what the whole, like, great movies yeah. particularly. And that's what
0: separates it from those others. And if we're yeah.
1: being honest, like, this is what makes great Joel Schumacher movies, is those little moments. So, this is
0: something mm-hmm. he's really
1: good at doing in his movies. Like, We saw that in Flatliners, Falling Downs, and a great example of that, too. And, I mean, even Batman Forever and Batman and Robin have
0: those. Even Phone Booth. Phone Booth. Everyone, Everyone. like, Phone Booth is anchored into one tiny room, and you just meet these, you know, weird characters coming up to this booth, and there's the guy on the phone. That, I mean, that's what I mean. He's great. at. He never misses a a moment. Right. Right? If there's a small, quiet, like, throwaway moment, right, where you need to move plot or move something – he always finds a way to have the character add to who they are yeah. while moving things forward. Exactly, it's, and that gets that gets missed by we a never lot of
1: people. get stopped in our tracks to get a good character moment from a Joel in a Joel Schumacher movie. But I think what I'm saying is that without the anchor of Corey Haim and the Frog Brothers, if you lose that, like if you take those characters out of the movie completely and you rewrite the movie, I think those emotional beats are almost stripped of some of their some of their varnish just because you don't care nearly as much about the mom because, obviously, if the mom's not paying attention to the fact that her kid's becoming a fucking vampire, she didn't care enough.
0: She's not paying attention to anything. Are you saying that this poor, beaten-down, divorcee single mom who had to go work for fucking hip-ass Max at a video store is a little bit not good enough because her... Son, who just moved to California, looks like he walked off a magazine, may or may not be doing droogs. What I, I think that is
1: an unfair criticism to Levy. Well, what I'm saying is that if Corey Haim and the Frog Brothers aren't in this movie, if there's no Sam Emerson, you lose a lot of that uh, emotional value. Yes, that's exactly what I I'm saying. I already told
0: you, my anchor is Grandpa, so I'll be fine. Great. He is the man I'm slowly becoming. No, I... That's that's what that to me is what it is, right, is that the movie itself becomes vampiric to me, which is I do always feel like I can't grow old and die. If I'm watching this movie, I feel full of life and fun and the characters are fucking outstanding. I mean, just to end the movie, right, we have this big bad at the end and it's like, oh, we need some mythological. How do you defeat a monster? Grandpa just somehow knows to fucking smash in his. Perfect. you know front wall and his front door and like hopefully i'll stake him yeah and then he just walks away and just gets a root beer and it's like fucking vampires and you're like yes
1: fade to black that's the fucking movie man
0: yes that's it, it that but that small scene at the end right is perfect it's like don't worry too much about the mythology don't worry about planning just make it exciting throw an explosion awesome, awesome. character that's beat. It. And you're like, it's a perfect way to end Lost Boys because that's what it is. It's I don't want to know anything about those characters' series beyond of that good Times,
1: Yes, 100%. Yeah,
0: it's... Well, you can imagine... I mean, they've made sequels to the Lost Boys. Sure. But again, uh, none like of I which said, are I don't need to know good. anything
1: about those characters beyond that.
0: Feelings, <laughs> you don't care about 40-year-old uh, Frog coming back?
1: <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, not a draw for me to the Lost Boys franchise.
0: Yeah, not... Not a draw, not a draw. Um, but yeah, guys, that's that's it for, that's it for uh. The movie, but yeah, it is. It's, it's one of those days. It just like, the Lost Boys. Yeah, it just, you kind of just got to stop for a second, man. And it it is weird because we're getting to that age where we're gonna start losing people. Yeah, that made the things that meant a lot to our childhood, and you know, just thinking of the Lost Boys. I think back to what my friend John said and it's just like it was a bonding moment between him and his little friends where it's like they became a little gang of kids who like if you like the lost boys you're cool to us. Right. If you don't know the lost boys buzz up. And it's 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 just, you know, it's hard to swallow that you know, we won't see another Joel Schumacher movie. It's it it, it's hard to swallow, but that is kind of the great thing about you know these these directors and artists that you know come along and give us these fucking great pieces of work, like I already know like it'll be one of my great days, and hopefully you know knock on wood, I'll live long enough to share this with my kids yes. um, you know it's just one of those that that is the great thing is that we'll always have the work, but it's really sad to think that you know the guy is uh not with us anymore
1: man. it is the man who gave us flatliners and the platitudes. There's no more. That's what I mean. Like
0: so many movies that we love. And and again, it's like we said earlier, it's these guys who made these movies that just, you're, they light your fucking heart on fire. And you're like, that's why we wanted to do a podcast about movies is, you know, partially Joel Schumacher is responsible for that. Totally. Um. So yeah, man, all we can do is just thank him, Uh. you know, for his stuff. Thank you. Joel. Hope that everyone who loved him is okay. And that he will be remembered fondly as he deserves, man. So uh, The Lost Boys was a fantastic time at the movies. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Please take a second and leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcast app. Very you can helpful. see our faces on YouTube. Nerd Alchemist, plural, with an S at the end. Uh, find us on all your social medias. Email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. And tell us what movies you'd like to hear us talk about. We're always taking suggestions. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey.
1: I'm Alex Tandina.